Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity to have some fun, to come into a safe room and um, just enjoy each other's company. And so, Lord, I just pray now for Gigi as she shares your word. I pray that you would allow her words to be clear, compelling, um, and then, God, that we would we'd be convicted and that your spirit inside of us would do the work to stir our hearts and our minds to be in, in greater and more affectionate worship for you. And so be with my friend as she teaches these gals. It's in your son's name, I see things. Amen. Gigi Hornberger, everybody. Good evening, everybody. My first question for you all is how many of you follow Nika on Instagram? Nika's back there. She follows herself. Yeah, we've got some, some followers of Nika. Well, if you followed Nika, then you would have seen that this last weekend she had a flat tire. Yeah, and uh, poor Nika with a flat tire. I've got a picture of her Instagram that, there it is. And you can see that she gave a shout out to her mama for teaching her how to, to change the flat tire. I thought that was just awesome that Nika knows how to change her own flat tire. Because if something like that happened to me, I would just be up a creek. Because first of all, I don't know the first thing about changing a flat tire. Thankfully, I have AAA. My mama didn't teach me how to change a tire, but um, AAA is awesome. But even if I knew how to change a, a flat, like even if I called Nika and said, hey, will you tell me how to change my flat tire? I don't have the strength in my, I need to work out a little bit, I think, but I'm not strong enough. I couldn't unscrew the bolts or lift the tire or lift the car, however you do it, I don't know. But I would not be able to do it in my own strength. I would not have the power. I wouldn't have the, the knowledge. I, wouldn't, I just wouldn't have it all what it takes to change the flat tire. As I was thinking about Nike doing that and reading in Exodus 3 and 4, I thought, I think probably Moses felt about the same way as if he had a flat tire and didn't know how to change it. Because he's going along just in his little, minding his own business, and he had this sudden surprise out in the desert. He's out in the pasture, and he's just minding his own business. And suddenly, with, there was this interruption where the God of the universe confronts him, I mean, comes to him, approaches him in the burning bush and says, I want you to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at the time, and confront him and tell him to let my people go. I mean, I am sure that Moses is feeling like, what? Because the Lord God is asking him to do a task that Moses is completely incapable of doing on his own. He doesn't have the strength. He doesn't have the influence. He doesn't know how. He doesn't have the strategy. But the thing that we're going to see in, this, um, in these two chapters, chapters 3 and 4 tonight, are that it's God had a plan. And when God has a plan and he asks us to do something, What we're going to see tonight is that when God calls, he also empowers. He equips us to do what he calls us to do. When God calls, he also empowers. 
So remember last week, I know there are a lot of you in here who this is your first week, so just to kind of get you up to speed, we talked last week a lot about the fact that God is a promise keeper. God keeps his promise because a long, long time ago, God chose a man named Abraham. And he called Abraham out of his country, and he made a covenant with Abraham and with Abraham's family. And in the book of Genesis, we learned that he promised, he made this covenant and promised land, seed, and blessing to Abraham and to his family. The blessing we learned was that Jesus was going to come, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come from Abraham's family. And so he chooses this family to be his people. And he tells them, I'm your God and you're my people. And so he covenants with Abraham. And, um, but he tells Abraham that before I take you into the promised land, you're going to be enslaved. This people group's going to be enslaved for 400 years. And so that is where we pick up in the book of Exodus in chapters 3 and 4 today. So they are, they've been enslaved in Egypt, and um, God is now ready to act. He's ready to reveal himself and act now and be that promise keeper. He's going to take the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. And again, he calls one man. He, this man is Moses, who is a lowly broken shepherd who has a past. Remember last week we studied the fact that he had murdered a man before. And so, but the thing is, he does not leave Moses on his own to do this huge task. He tells Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to help you. He commits, God commits himself to give Moses all that he needs to, to complete this task. In Moses' situation and in our situation today, we are going to see that when God calls, he also empowers. So as we look at Exodus 3 and 4, we're going to look at the outline today. The outline is super simple. We're going to look at, first of all, God's call. Secondly, we're going to look at Moses' concerns. And third, God's commitment. So if you would open your Bible to Exodus 3 and 4, and we will get started. The first thing we're going to look at is God's call. So like I said, God has called Moses. He's out in, he went from palace, the, the palace in Egypt, out to the pasture. And he's been out in the pasture herding sheep for 40 years, just minding his own business. Probably he's given up on himself and any kind of future that he may have. And um, just living his own boring life when suddenly and surprisingly, the angel of the Lord appears. And we know that when Scripture talks about the angel of the Lord, rather than an angel of the Lord, it's talking about what theologians call a theophany. It's the pre-incarnate Christ, which means it's actually, this angel is actually the Lord God himself, when it's the angel of the Lord. So the Lord God himself calls out to Moses 
from this bush that's burning, and it just continues to burn and doesn't burn up. And he calls Moses personally. He says, Moses, Moses. So we know it's not an accident. God's not just hanging out in a bush waiting for the first shepherd to walk by and tell him, Take, go set my people free. He calls Moses personally. He is, wants Moses for this job. And he, so Moses starts coming closer to the bush, and God stops him and says, whoa, 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 wait, don't come any closer. He says, you need to take your sandals off because the, the ground you're standing on is holy ground. Because the deal is, is that in God's presence, his holy presence, the ground that, he, that surrounds that bush is holy presence. And Moses is a sinful man. And the sinful man, between sinful man and holy God, there is a natural barrier. And God's presence is so holy that it is a consuming fire, is what Moses calls, will call God's presence later. It's a consuming fire that humans, natural humans in our sinful state cannot come in contact with. And so, because that holiness is overwhelming. And so, the Lord's actually protecting Moses, you know, when he says, you know, stand back a little bit. But he goes on, the Lord goes on to reveal himself. He's like, I am the God, the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he reveals that he's the covenant keeper. He's going to, he is going to keep that covenant with his, with this family. He's a faithful God and he keeps his promises. And he also tells him, I have seen your misery, their misery. I have heard their crying. I'm concerned about their suffering. Their cry has reached me, and I've seen their oppression. So God here is a holy, compassionate, caring, personal God who steps down into history to do what he has promised to do long, long ago. And in verse 8 of chapter 3, we see what he's going to do. He says, so I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up and in, out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So what we see is that God is a personal God who wants to take his people out of slavery and into a land of blessing. So what I want to do is stop right here and think about what we learn about God as we look at these verses. What we see is God initiating the rescue of his people. He did that in Moses' time, and he does that for us today. Because we are at a point in Exodus that we're about to start seeing the great story. I mean, this is like the greatest story of rescue in the Old Testament. We're at the beginning. It's a great story. The, the rescue of the Israelites out of bondage from the Egyptians. But what I want you to see is that it's only a foreshadowing of the greatest story. I want you to see the connection between the great story of the great deliverer, Moses, and the greatest deliverer, Jesus Christ, who delivers you and delivers me today. 
Because you see, cruel bondage is a part of each one of our story. We all have the need to be set free. Because the Bible clearly teaches us that each one of us is a slave to sin. It's part of our lives. We are unable to escape that tendency that we have to live in a way that's selfish. It's all about me. A tendency to go our own way. A tendency to be rebellious toward God and his plan for us. And that is sin. Sin separates us, just like it separated um, Moses from a holy God. Our sin separates us from a holy God. And we've, just like he had to step back and couldn't be in the presence of God because of his sin. That's the same for us. But God really, he wanted a relationship with us. He wanted to be able to come in our presence. And so he himself came to our rescue. God, like 1,500 years after this, wrapped himself in the flesh of baby Jesus in the manger, came to earth to live a perfect life and die on the cross, uh, die a death on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for your sins and for my sins, and to pay that penalty that we owe for our sins. He took God's wrath upon himself, and he died on the cross, but he didn't stay dead. After three days, he rose again from the dead, and the fact that he rose from the dead proves that his sacrifice was acceptable to God. That his rescue mission has been accomplished on our behalf. And all we have to do is to trust Jesus. And we can be set free. Just like the Israelites were set free and out of bondage and into a life of blessing, we can be ushered into the life of blessing, into the promised land as we have a relationship with God, with the God of the universe the holy God of the universe, and we can experience his blessings as we do that. So we've been set free from the penalty of sin, the penalty of sin being the wrath of God. Jesus has taken that on himself, and we are forgiven from every sin, past, present, and future. We've been set free from the power of sin. As a believer, We no longer have to obey our sinful desires. We no longer, sin no longer has mastery over us. No longer is sin our master. We are free now to obey God and to live in righteousness and to walk free and in the abundant life that God offers. And then in the future, we will be set free from the presence of sin after we die, we will be in the presence of Jesus, our Lord. And in his presence, there will be no sin. And the the effects of sin that we see and that we have to watch on a day-to-day basis here, that will all be removed. And so all the consequences of sin as well. And so all we have to do is to agree with God about our sinful state and our need for a Savior. He's thrown out a lifeline to us. All we have to do is reach out and take it, trusting what he's done for us so that we can be set free from that bondage of slavery 
because we see in Moses' life and we see in our own life that God initiates the rescue of his people. So let me ask you, do you believe that? Do you, have you trusted Christ for salvation? Are you in a relationship with God Almighty of the universe? And if you are, does that relationship that you have guide and direct your daily life? The decisions that you make on a daily basis? How are you responding to what Jesus has done for you? Because the way you respond to Jesus Christ is the most important thing about you. So we're thankful that God initiates the rescue of his people. So the, we saw the, that initiation of rescue when he called Moses. The second, the second section of these two chapters is looking at Moses' response. Moses was concerned, to say the least. This was a big, big task that God was calling Moses to. And Moses was really consumed with his limitations. Five different times we looked at in our lesson, five times Moses pushes back and says, I can't do it. He's asked God, who am I? Like, what kind of influence am I going to have? What kind of power do I, I don't have the power to do this. Who shall I say sent me? Basically asking God, who are you? And then he says, what if they don't believe me? I'm slow in speech. Please, please, Lord, send someone else. This is a massive task that God is calling Moses to. Moses knows he's got limited resources. And so those two together equal an an impossibility. I mean, we can identify with Moses, right? I mean, we can understand where he's coming from, and we kind of feel that way too sometimes, I'm sure. When we feel like God is calling us to a step of obedience or a new task, and it's scary, and it's hard. It's difficult. It's something that we can't do on our own, and that's what we need to realize because sometimes this um, has a tendency to make us just kind of be stuck in our, we get stuck in our limitations, and it makes us um, just take small steps of um, obedience to God. Because we only accept and, and take those steps where, that we feel confident in our own strength and our own power. Things that we can do on our own. Things that we can handle in our own strength. But God's not into small steps. He's not into small purposes for us. God is into big, life-changing purposes. And honestly, we're, we want to be a part of those big, life-changing purposes. God has set eternity in our hearts, and we have that desire to be a part of what he's doing in the world. But it is scary. And when God calls us to these big purposes, he does so so that even in our limitations— He can equip and empower us, even in our weaknesses, so that he gets the glory. He wants to receive the glory. And it's so easy for us 
to live in a perpetual state of self-reliance. And honestly, it's exhausting. It becomes such a burden, right? To just live life in our own strength and in our own power rather than depending on the strength and the power of the Lord. As women, we can kind of go two different ways. We could either respond in one extreme where we're overconfident and we just kind of pretend almost that we are a a capable mom or a capable employee, a confident um, Christian who is, you know, following Christ just right. But we all know, I mean, it's it's a burden and it's a struggle because we all know that we're just one misstep away from being found out, our imperfections being found out. The other way we could do it is just living in that knowing that we can't do it, almost a sense of despair or discouragement where we're paralyzed and we're not willing to even try and take a step. Maybe we're stuck in our guilt and shame and feel defeated in that. Maybe we're stuck in our disobedience and we just have that sense that, I'm never going to change, so I might as well quit trying. Um, And we just wait to step out in faith until things come a little bit easier for us. And it's exhausting. Kind of trying to live in either one of these camps is exhausting. And we've got to do like Moses did, which was to be honest with our limitations and come to the Lord just like Moses did. Moses came to the Lord and he questioned and he said, I can't do it. He was honest about his hesitations and he was honest about his fears. And what God was saying was, we'll see in the next section, basically, I'll do it for you. And what Jesus tells us in the New Testament, as we look at Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, he says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We got to remember that God is able to work in us to help us to overcome our fears and our failures, and He is able to work in spite of us. And just like Moses, we got to embrace our fears and our inadequacies and our insufficiencies, but then we also have to take that next step of embracing the Lord's adequacies, his sufficiency, and his courage and strength that he's offering us. So the deal is, is that the Lord longs to meet us when we get to the end of our rope, when we get to that point where we realize, I can't do it anymore. I am done trying. And he wants us to recognize our own weakness and turn to him, and then he loves to be our strength and prove himself strong. And in doing so, he receives the glory. So I I remember really learning this very clearly in my life when I was first in a Bible study a few years ago, and I was asked to teach, kind of like a group of women like you all. And I was so stunned, I felt just like Moses, because I was like, 
why would you choose me to teach? There are so many women here that would do such a you know, much better job of doing this than I could. And when the director called me and asked me, she said, you know, just pray about it. And I just was giving her every reason I couldn't do it. And she said, just pray about it, but don't say no because of fear. Don't say no because of fear. I was like, okay, okay. And so I started praying about it and telling God all the reasons that I couldn't do it. And every reason that I came up with was based in fear. So finally and reluctantly, I said, okay, I'll try it. I, you know, it came down to, do you believe what God says he's going to do? And so I tried it and I got my manual, which the teacher's manual, and I opened it up. And one of the sentences that I saw, it said, a sense of inadequacy is a prerequisite for doing this job well. I was like, okay, well, I got this covered. I just felt completely inadequate. And I just want you to know, I've had the privilege of being able to teach um, several times since then. And every single time I do it, I feel completely inadequate. I still look around the room and think there are many of you who could teach much better than I can. But the Lord proves himself strong every single time. And it is such a blessing to be a part of his great purposes and to see him um, just bring glory and honor to himself some, some way. So as I depend on him, he does it. So the deal that I've learned is that as a believer, our brokenness, our insufficiency, our weakness, our fear is a platform for God to be glorified. He loves to fill empty, weak, broken vessels with his glory and with his strength. And so the principle that we learn here is that God redeems our insufficiencies for his glory. God redeems our insufficiencies for his glory. You see, we were designed to live a life dependent on God because he's the only one completely adequate. And we can depend on him to empower us to do what he calls us to do, whether it is a task like Moses or something in Scripture that we need to just obey. Where is it? What is it? I'm going to ask you. What is it that you're facing today? A decision, a relationship? What is it that's just too big for you to accomplish in your own strength? What is it that in Scripture you are thinking, I can't, I can't, I can't do that. It's just not, not going to happen with me. Maybe the Lord's calling you into something. Is he calling you into a relationship with him? Calling you to take that next step of faith? Maybe he's calling you into a more disciplined study of his word. Or into unity with other believers. Maybe he's calling you to resolve that conflict that's been going on for a while. Maybe he's calling you out. Is he calling you out of your comfort zone to do something? Is he calling you out of your a comfort sin, something that you're just happy nurturing along? 
Maybe he's calling you out of the darkness and into the light. Maybe he's calling you to stay put. Is he saying, stand firm, hold fast, be strong? In a hard marriage, dealing with raising rebellious teenagers, stand firm, be strong in your parenting. Maybe it's in your purity. Maybe he's saying, stand firm. Hold fast to your purity in your dating relationship. Whatever the Lord's calling you to, identify with Moses. Even when it's scary and you're feeling insufficient, maybe you you have a sense of guilt or shame or the need to self-protect. If those things are paralyzing you, remember that God redeems our insufficiencies for his glory. So we saw Moses' concerns. We saw, we saw Moses' call and then his concerns. And now we're going to see God's commitment. What is God? How does God answer all of Moses' questions? Y'all looked at that in your lesson. And what we just want to remember is that whenever God calls, he equips. Whether it's a task, a ministry task for him, whether it's a step of obedience, he, we, we can do it because he enables us and empowers us, and it's in his strength, not our own. So let's just look at the promises that God makes to Moses and think about how they're similar for us today in those things. So in verse 12, he commits his presence. He says, I will be with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not sending you on your own. It's a team project. I will be with you. He commits his presence. In verse 14, he commits himself. He, he, when he's asked, who are you? It's the I am sent you is what he responds. I am. What does that mean? It means that God is big enough. He's big enough for the task. He's big enough to help you obey. I am is the covenant name of Yahweh. It's the covenant name of God that reveals his self-sufficiency. I am describes God as one who has no equal, that he is, doesn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. He's uncreated, never changing, eternal. He's dependent on no one. As a matter of fact, everyone and everything is dependent on him. I loved how I, as I was reading, I found... Um, a statement that said the I am is the idea that God is the becoming one. The becoming one. I thought, what does that mean? It means he becomes whatever is lacking in our need. The becoming one. So it's the idea of if you're facing darkness and he says, I am the light. If you're facing weakness, he says, I am the bread of life. If you are facing um, attack and you're feeling defenseless, he says, I am the good shepherd. God is the becoming one, becoming what we need. We could go on and on. I am is the title that Jesus took upon himself all through the book of John. What an interesting study is how Jesus claimed to be God and said, I am, over and over again. But 
we could, we could say a lot about I am, and it's a great study, but it just suffice it to say that God is saying here, I am sufficient. I will help you, Moses, even in your insufficiencies. So we go, so we hear, we see that he commits himself. So he's committed him, his presence. He commits himself. And then in verses 16 and 17, he commits good. He commits to be, to give good to his people. When he, he says, I have watched over you, I've seen you, and I promise to bring you up to the land of milk and honey. I'm bringing you to good things. I want it to go well for you. I want good things for you. And then in verse 19, he commits power. He says, the Pharaoh's not going to let you go until a mighty hand compels you. So I will. And he goes on then to commit to give Moses that power to perform the wonders of the staff turning into a snake and the hand turning into a leprous hand and the water turning into blood. He commits power. And then in 10 through 17, we see Moses talking about being slow in speech and send someone else, and God commits provision. He provides. He says, I will help you. I'm going to teach you what to say. I'm going to provide Aaron. He just reassures him with that provision. And then as we looked at verses 24 to 26, which I I was like, that's kind of random to put the circumcision thing in there. What is God committing to here? And when I asked myself that question, I thought, he's committing to purification and to purify Moses here because Moses had not met the covenant requirement of circumcision for his family. He had covenanted that. And so he couldn't lead his people until he had become holy himself. And so he, the Lord God promises the same for us today. He promises that he will, he will be faithful in sanctifying us to make us increasingly holy. Because effective leadership begins with obedience to God. And so the Lord uh, promises or commits to purifying. He purifies Moses here, and he commits to purifying us as well. So what we have to do, like Moses, we have a tendency to do, is to preach our limitations to God. When God is asking us to do something, we preach our limitations or our insufficiencies or our inabilities. We preach those to God. When we need to learn to flip that around and preach God and his promises to our limitations and to our insufficiencies. And so we just got to remind ourselves over and over of God's promises to us and remind ourselves that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. It's his job to do the empowering and the equipping, and he's promised to do it. He promises, like he did with Moses, to walk alongside us, to help us in our obedience. So what we learn here is that God reveals that he himself is sufficient for our every need. God reveals that he himself is sufficient for our every need. So today in our life, we're not going to stumble across a burning bush that God is going to make all those promises to us. But what we do have is his absolutely true word, scripture, 
the Bible that is filled with promises of God that we can hold on to to remind us of his commitment to be sufficient for every need that we have. So all those things that he promised to Moses, I like to, to sum up in th- with three Ps. His presence, his power, and his provision. And when I'm facing something that's challenging for me, whether it's a challenge to walk in obedience or a challenge to accept this task, whatever it is, I remind myself and I pray that the Lord will help me remember, that the Lord will remind me of his presence, his power, and his provision. In that way, we can fix our eyes on Jesus as we do that and we preach his presence, his power, and his provision to our problems or to our challenges, our insufficiencies. We do that and we are strengthened. And we are able then to do what he's calling us to do. So in the scripture, some of my favorite promises for those things, for the presence, I love Isaiah 41.10. It reminds us, it says, do not fear for I am with you. He promises his presence. Do not look anxiously about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then for power, To remind me of his power, I look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where he says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. And then to remind me of his provision. I love 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things, at all times, you may abound in every good work. And then I love 2 Peter 1.3 that we talked about in church this last Sunday. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So God gives us all we need. How? We see it in that verse there. In Second Peter verse, the way he does it is through the knowledge of him. So as we study more about him and learn more about him through his word, the way he reveals himself to us these days, he gives us all we need. Now, the important thing to remember and to know is that he doesn't give us all we need by the knowledge of him, just knowing facts about him. It's important that we know him and be in relationship with him. It's an intimate knowledge of him, like we know a good friend. And how do we know a good friend? How do we get to know a friend better? We spend time with them. And it's the same way, the same thing we do with the Lord. We spend time with him we, through prayer and study of his word and listening to him just in the quietness of our own home. And it's through his Holy Spirit who indwells us as believers that he reminds us of truth, that he, he speaks to us through his word and through his spirit and through his people and through prayer. We get to know God himself. 
And so as we do, we get to know the great I am who is sufficient. As we do, he reveals that he himself is sufficient for our every need. Do you believe that? Do you believe those promises in Scripture? Think about it. Think about what you thought about a minute ago. What are you facing right now that's, that's hard, that's too big for you to accomplish on your own in your own strength? What, is it, what obedience is it right now that's difficult for you? Where are you saying, I can't? And how would your response in that situation be different if you really trusted God's presence his power, and his provision for you in that situation. If you really trusted it and you banked on it, how would your response be different? Do you trust him enough to follow his call? Do you trust him enough to take that step of obedience even when it's hard? It's, it is. It's difficult. Following God sometimes is really, really hard. But he promises that we're not on our own, that he will empower and he will enable us to do what he's calling us to do. So even in our insecurities and even in our weaknesses, he redeems those things. Because we have seen in this, these two chapters, as he's done with Moses, he, as he will do with Moses as we watch throughout Exodus what he does with Moses, he can do the same for us because He initiates our rescue, he redeems our brokenness for his glory, and he reveals himself as sufficient for our every need. And as we trust that, we learn that when God calls, he also empowers. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a caring, holy powerful, personal God. And we are grateful that you have reached down, that you care enough about us individually to want a relationship with us. Thank you for how you call our name and how you draw us to yourself. I pray for each one of these women tonight, Lord, that you would have them respond to that call, that you would empower and enable and equip them to respond to your call your call of a relationship, your call of a step forward in faith. Lord, thank you for not leaving us on our own. Thank you for proving yourself sufficient. Thank you for being the great I am who is all-powerful, who becomes everything that we need. Thank you, Lord, that you redeem our weakness and our insufficiencies and our brokenness. Lord, I pray for the small groups tonight. As the ladies go to their groups, I pray that you would give them the courage to speak about what they've learned this week about you and that you would encourage each of the women in the conversations tonight. Pray that they would be authentic and transparent with the way they need you and the way they need each other. Lord, thank you for your word that teaches us about you so that we can know you more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You're dismissed to your small groups.